All right, welcome to another episode of No Investment Advice. We got Jack and Bilal here today. Trung is in Asia, so it's just us. It's just us two this week. We'll be carrying the torch. Um, Jack, what's been going on, mate? What's been going on in the last week? What we've we been doing, boys? I think uh, I had my parents visiting for a few weeks. Just finished building a fence. My hands. You've been working ring, on like, this fence for like two weeks, yeah. man. It's crazy. Right. Mate, a little manual labor, a little flavor of it. It was uh, it's so much fun, but definitely catching up on my screen time now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you noticed yeah. that already? You're just back in the house, just on the phone the whole time. Yeah, it's uh, mate, it was so much fun being outside for that amount of time, but it, uh, it makes a material difference, like spending eight hours away from the <laughs> yeah, yeah, every day. So, you mean material do. difference, literally, like in visualized values, material yeah, output, <laughs> indeed. Indeed. yeah yeah but completely just, it was nice to take a break man how about you yeah well i'm i'm just coming off i came back from upstate i was in a woodstock uh, that was fun and then uh coming off the high this weekend with arsenal beating tottenham been reliving oh, that the whole yeah, yeah. the whole London weekend Derby. has been it's like was it on saturday i think the whole weekend's just better it's like i mean for people who don't follow football it's like the biggest rivalry in the uk pretty much in the premier league is arsenal tottenham Local yeah, it was rivals. A as well, wasn't it? 3-1. Yeah, we 3-1 and it was not just like a it wasn't just like luck. It was like we deserved it. We like dominated and it's like years of progress culminating in this moment and it was very very satisfying. So yeah, top of the that. table, aren't they? Arsenal. Top of the table and then we saw Man City smash Man United 6-3 the next day. So it's been a weird it's been a crazy. <laughs> it's going to be for people who follow football it's the craziest season of our lifetimes cuz the World Cup's going to start in November. So the, they're going to stop the leagues and then go oh, to the I World Cup in Qatar. About that. And then come back and that's going to throw everything off because people are going to come back injured mentally. Imagine like winning the World Cup and coming back and being motivated to go to Stoke on a Tuesday night yeah. or something like that. So <laughs> no disrespect to Stoke, but you know what I mean? It's going to be a bit of a, it's going to be very interesting. I think it could be one of those Leicester seasons, you know, like where something weird happens, but I think Man City are going to win because it's, it's too crazy. So yeah. We'll save that for a football podcast. Um, so um, I don't want to bore the people who aren't into sports. But yeah, really, really cool times right now for Arsenal fans. All right, mate, let's get on. Trung is not here, but we got honor him with a meme of the week. And this is the one. There's only one place to do it. This was shared in our group chat. And obviously, well, our Telegram group chat, but also... Um, we know shared, he knew about it, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. Also within our three-way group <laughs> chat because Trung was the first to share it. I feel like he must have put this part together where he's put the top part with the screenshot underneath. Oh, so yeah, yeah. For he's people who, this up. Yeah. <laughs> for people who are just listening and not watching on YouTube, first of all, click through on YouTube if you want to see it in the link below in the, in the show notes. But this is Trung's tweet from, I don't remember when, it was like, what, April? April 2022. That's what it says, April 4th, yeah. April 4th, yeah. So it's, it's um, you know, Elon Musk from the SNL skit that was, that was really famous. And uh, yeah, basically it was a funny meme that we've talked about. We've probably done this as meme of the week before, but what's more important is underneath, this is a screenshot from um, Elon Musk Brett Taylor and Parag Agarwal and it's their group chat because in the last <laughs> week Elon Musk um, his his texts have kind of come public and leaked or whatever because of the, the court case or whatever 
and we can see these three were sharing Trunk's meme in their group chat. And obviously, big deal uh, for our boy Trunk. And uh, yeah, Jack, how did you feel when Trunk sent this in the group chat, mate? Well, who's Brett Taylor? He's the CEO Brett, of I Salesforce. Think he, no, no, no. He's the Twitter chair and Parag Agarwal is the CEO of Twitter. So uh, this is okay. before it all kicked off in a negative way. I think they were kind of joking around and it, the, the caption was something like, you know, Twitter's meeting today or board meeting today or something like that. So they, the actual Twitter board, the people on the board and Elon were sharing this as a joke. So (laughs) pretty cool, pretty cool. Obviously, Trung was over the moon and I would be as well. Losing his mind over that, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And he's probably gone into the list and searched his name because he didn't show the picture, right? So some, (laughs) he's had to go and dig and find that. With the manual URL. Who better? Yeah, 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 completely, completely. But yeah, slides coming together. There we go, that was it. So that had to be meme in a week. Um, So just to let people know what we're talking about this week, we're gonna talk about Mr. Beast. He's come up quite a bit recently just because I think he's been doing quite a lot of press and like going on other other people's podcasts. Uh, but there was a, apparently a $1 billion offer for all of his companies and his channels and stuff like that. And we're going to kind of talk about that idea of, you know, should he have taken something like that and uh, what it might be in the future. We're also going to talk about Kim Kardashian. Never thought I'd say that on this pod. Um, our boy Gary Gensler uh, has been talking about her and tweeting out about her in the last few days um, as it related to her pumping some bags um last year her and a bunch of other celebrities and kind of what it means for for that space um i think she's got a big fine maybe it's like one and a half million dollars from when i originally read it or yeah, something yeah. like that so we're going to hey, talk about way, that Bilal, yeah go on. while we just before i think as we started this meeting uh musk agrees I, to buy twitter at there 40, we go 54 dollars breaking share, 50, news 20. is yeah, that yeah, confirmed yeah. because i saw before we were recording there was like an offer or something, but is it confirmed? So Twitter stock, this is CNN. Twitter stock was halted twice and rose 13% midday trading Tuesday following reports that Elon Musk has proposed to move forward with his deal at the wow. originally agreed upon price. Damn, okay. So well, another NIA prediction comes true or close, a step closer to becoming true. Exactly. All right, well, since we've just talked about it, what do you reckon, mate? Would you, do you think there's anything else to add there in terms of like things we weren't really expecting? In the in this deal, yeah, in that deal, yeah. I don't know. I thought that I thought all of the legal stuff was basically an attempt to get the price down, right? It's like all of the things that weren't disclosed about how many accounts aren't real, et cetera, et cetera. I think I don't know. I have a I have a feeling that oh, I've always had this feeling that Twitter has been this uh, this. Um, kind of missing link between all of the companies that he's working on all the ideas that he has you know extend the light of human consciousness if that's your um that's the overarching mission then twitter is probably as close as you can get to a platform that aggregates consciousness you know people are like putting their thoughts into it in real time it probably represents um yeah i mean even this like like global political conflicts play out on Twitter. It's a very, very close proxy to what's happening in the world. If it, if it's obviously they're extreme, I don't know. I, I don't want to say close proxy in terms of like Twitter is real life, but it is definitely where a lot of massive things occur. Right. So yeah, it's like um, the, 
Yeah, completely. But and especially like we've talked about culturally how important it is and it's just the public um town square or whatever is the phrase people use for it. So yeah, I mean that's exciting if that actually happens. Go one on. thing that is related that we didn't bring up, I didn't actually watch it, but AI Day was was that last week or the weekend? I didn't see this properly, no. Yeah, Tesla AI Day, so they brought out the um the robot. I saw the and robot videos, seen. yeah. All I've seen is like people saying this is, uh, you know, Honda was knocking out robots like this 15 years ago. That's the, you know, the critique that you see on Twitter. So I, I'm definitely not qualified or researched enough to know how significant what they presented was. But um, again, I just think Twitter is like this, this thing that can augment all of the things that all of the musk businesses are about and yeah. problems they're working on so and it finally no, dropped the edit button after yeah. all, this, <laughs> after yeah. all the chat did you see that i, I was I like is it. this even worth bringing up but it kind of is we've been talking about it for such a long time that's officially like i saw i don't i don't know if everyone's got access to it or if it's just like an early beta thing or i think it's blue maybe twitter blue or maybe it's oh, a segment really? okay. within twitter do you pay for that you know Trump's i don't pay for, for it now i'm hard yeah i know it's yeah yeah i'm hardly <laughs> i'm not really tweeting for a little while so uh, i'm yeah, not really man. using it enough but um yeah so anyway that's pretty cool i guess we'll we'll probably wait till next week to do more of a proper deep dive on it but that was breaking news as we're here also before we get into mr beast and kim kardashian uh, we're also going to do some of the AMA questions we didn't get to. Uh, if you want to submit those questions in the future, make sure you're in the Telegram group. That's normally where we, we post. And people, we've got like a bunch of questions in there. We'll, me and Jack will get through some of those uh, in the second half of the show. So this is Mr. Beast. Let's get on to that. So Mr. Beast, if everyone, no one's ever heard of If you've never heard of him, he's the, basically the biggest YouTuber in the world. Um He's been on a little bit of a rampage on the podcast scene right now. So I listened to the full episode on Flagrant, which is like a four-hour interview. Uh, and it's just more like a hang with him and a bunch of uh, the Flagrant boys, Andrew Schultz, Mark Gagnon, Akash Singh, a few others. And um, the, there was one snippet that's been go doing the rounds, and it was around him saying that he was offered a billion dollars for all of his businesses and channels. And I think people wrote in like a misleading way like Mr. Beast was offered a billion dollars for his channel which is not the real headline the real headline is everything it, mm -hmm. and it includes him basically right it means you're gonna have to come and work on Mr. Beast if we were buying this secondly to clarify it wasn't like a firm offer like here's a letter and like we've got a billion dollars for you but he said it was someone who had the capacity to do it and it seemed like a pretty legit thing um, and he said he would consider at like the 10 billion amount. So I wanted to get your take on this because I think you might have heard part of this episode as well. I'm not sure if you heard the whole thing. Yeah, I listened um, about the first half, I think, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so what do, you, what do you think? Because a lot of people who don't have any context about this are like, what, a YouTuber got offered a billion dollars and they said no? Like, that sounds crazy, but to people like us, it might sound not that crazy at all. Yeah, I mean, if the rest of the interview, I think, or the beginning of the interview is him basically talking about the fact that he's doing whatever he wants to do. And he's like, to use the uh, term we've used before, post-economic, like you have, like his optionality is already kind of infinite, I would imagine. Like he doesn't need, I don't know, I want maybe that's a, a strong way to put it. It just feels like he's already 
doing the things he wants to be doing, building the thing he wants to be building. Um, he's not constrained by capital. Only like everything goes back into videos or a good amount of it goes back into the videos. And I think changing your circumstances like that might affect your relationship with the thing you're doing. Right? I don't think people often take that into consideration where it's like, no one's buying that just for like, it becomes much less valuable to the person who owns it. If he's not involved. Right. Yeah. So and you, especially you the channel itself, you can't really do it without him at the moment. Like he is the face. It's not like just someone who's like outsourcing all that part. Like he's, it's Mr. Beast. It's like his personal brand. Yeah. It's weird. Like, I think there are maybe the, maybe a good like halfway proxy is like a bar stool, you know, like, Dave Portnoy isn't completely barstool, but he's a good portion of it. And they've been able to like build this massive media Beyond empire just him. that yeah. goes into all these other, um, like can hire all these other people and build brands around other, um, even the shows maybe have a bit more equity in them than the person or like their level kind of, and you can bring people in and out. But Mr. Beast is like, it's built on one person's personality, reputation ideas all that stuff so yeah i don't know maybe um like having that money but still being attached to the thing doesn't really change anything like maybe being able to sell something for a billion dollars and then go and do something even more ridiculous with a billion dollars would be appealing to something like that but in that deal like you would just be in the same situation you're in uh with more yeah, money in your bank account and i'm like again i don't know his personal situation but i'm sure he can take care of everything he wants to take care of financially yeah, right now yeah and i think he's also just again without knowing him personally obviously uh like he's he comes across very much like this is what he's wanted to do since he's like 11 years old yeah and yeah, he's yeah. now living the dream like and he really does care about like legacy like he literally says, I want to be the best YouTuber of all time. I want to be, that is what he cares about. Like he literally hasn't watched like films, like basic films that we've all watched. He just, and I find this actually not the best thing. I think he, for someone who creates narrative like mm -hmm. online, I think he'll probably gain from like watching a film once in a while. But anyway, like he's like, no, no, I just was always watching YouTube, like watching a two hour film were like five YouTube videos I could have watched in that time. And that was going to compound. Like he's quite intense about it. I hope that in like 10 years time, he won't necessarily be like that. I think it's really cool what he's doing. Like he doesn't, he should do whatever the hell he wants, but I do find it like really kind of like at a crazy level at the moment. And I, I also personally find it almost like a little young and immature in a way, like, because I think he's just got this thing in his head of like, I need to be the number one. And like, he's like very competitive, um, which, you know, is obviously what has propelled him to what he's doing. Um, but yeah, there's certain things like, I think as you get older and wiser and you see people who have even had that success, they realize like, Oh, watching a film, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, it sounds so obvious to us. But anyway, um, that's one thing. The second thing is, I think the value of it, I think a lot of people just don't have any context because they just think, oh, how is a YouTube channel worth a billion dollars, right? And it's that's not what they would be buying. It is Mr. Beast Burger, that uh, chocolate, was it Beastables mm -hmm. or something? Something like that, yeah. And all, basically all the different businesses they're setting up. And I don't know the exact numbers, but I remember seeing basically they're already on pace for like 100 million in revenue um, 
I think for Mr. Beast Burger or something like that, from my understanding, could not just the new one store, but the kind of ghost kitchens. Uh, so I mean, it's, it's, so yeah, it's already in like yeah. a private equity world, you can times a multiple on that and it'll be worth, you know, a billion plus in within a few years, if not already. So if you just look at those and you take that brand and then more, most importantly, you take the distribution, which is the most important thing here. That is what they're going to keep doing. It's going to keep launching new companies, um, new offshoots of everything they're doing. So it's incredible. And the cool thing is to see him actually execute it where I feel like 99% of like creators or like YouTubers might not really have the ability to do this. And I don't mean that in like a, you know, in a bad way, but just... No, it's just true, yeah. Yeah, like most creative people who are just straight up creative, like creating videos, that's what you become really good at. To then like compartmentalize that and then become really good at actually hiring people and giving them the room to actually run with it, which is what he seems to be doing and not over you know stressing about like i need to know every detail of what a best burger is in the world or whatever it is mm -hmm. i think that's actually pretty incredible at his age like to you know he's obviously a very special person already but just the fact he's doing that at such a young age is pretty incredible and then you marry that with the ambition of he wants to be a billionaire he actually wants to you know he even talked about being president like that was something that came up in that interview which sounds again really stupid but fast forward 20 years from now and he's four he's like 42 or something and he's he's got the biggest he's got a billion followers and that generation that have been watching him is now 35 year olds right like I mean, that 100 is, million yeah yeah you're right it's crazy like as a yeah. percentage of the world population like 100 Insane. million subscribers is crazy that's like single yeah. digit percent of the world population yeah yeah and if you think of the u.s population that's I don't, obviously the 100 million or whatever how many is that how many subscribers he's got right now 105 million on youtube yeah so it's almost and that's the main channel america yeah yeah and that's the main channel he's also got all the translated channels like the spanish channel arabic channel etc so uh, i think I, legend yeah pretty incredible so yeah i think it's pretty it sounds crazy to a lot of people but in the grand scheme of business, a billion dollars isn't crazy for the number one in a category and especially one that has that amount of reach. So I, I think he's really smart to not take something like that. And like you said, the most important thing is he wants to, you know, have fun and do the, do the things he wants to do. And in his words, he would have to essentially be an employee in his own company and that is not something he'd want to do. So yeah, mad respect. Do you think he could ever become president? Yeah, no problem. Probably like with that distribution. <laughs> yeah. Crazy to think about it. But I, it's also like, uh, I don't know. I think it, this is it's like uncharted territory in so many ways. It's like, has there ever been a person that's that famous that doesn't have to go through an intermediary? Probably not. Like there's, there's very few people that have that reach that don't have somebody between them and their audience or like an institution that controls the distribution of what they're doing. So yeah, it's clearly, it is an attention game. Obviously you have to say things that people, that resonate with people. And he's obviously figured that out on a, for entertainment. So I don't know how it'd be a controversial conversation to talk about the, uh, the parallels between like making YouTube videos about like, I don't know, giving away money and politics, basically the same idea, isn't it? 
Oh, sh- I didn't even think about that. <laughs> wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. Wait a minute, I didn't even see that connection there. Wait, it's so stimmies. you're right. Basically, giving people money on the internet and recording it and put it all over YouTube and TikTok is actually a more efficient way of giving people money because you're essentially, as a politician, you're giving people money to spread goodwill. Allocating resources, right? Allocating resources. Yeah. That is hilarious. I didn't even think of that, man. That is so fun. And probably a 10,000 times more efficient because you're only giving it to a small amount of people. I will say, all jokes aside, he seems to be a very philanthropic person as well. Like, yeah, yeah, he's yeah, also yeah. got these... He did these... mention he wants to give all his money away, right? Yeah, I think basically. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. And he said if he would ever run for president, he would basically give it all away and then show that he's not bought. Um, and then, this, yeah, he's got all these soup kitchens or whatever... Um, um, and seems to like genuinely want to do a lot of good, which is really cool to see. Um, but yeah, really, cr- what a crazy dude. I mean, I've I've now listened to his before in before the last six months. I hadn't really like listened to much of his stuff. I honestly haven't watched much of his videos, but mm-hmm. I've listened to him on several pods, probably more than ten hours now with Flagrant, Joe Rogan, and. Colin Samir, I think, might have had him on. Mm-hmm. And just, yeah, you, in 10, 15, 20 hours, you get to really hear someone. Um, and he's, like, pretty unique, special guy. Yeah, so pretty, pretty cool. Incredible. Incredible dude. Really cool. Um, all right, anything else on that before we move on to Kim Kardashian? No, we're doing NIA prediction. He's never selling it. How about that? Oh, okay. I like it. I like it. Yeah, fair enough. Um, all right, Kim Kardashian, Gary Gensler's tweet said, Today the SEC, we charged Kim Kardashian for unlawfully touting a crypto security. I think keyword security here. Uh, this case is a reminder that when celebrities or influencers endorse investment opportunities, including crypto asset securities, it doesn't mean those investment products are right for all investors. Jack, what is your hottest take here, mate? Yeah, let's have a look at this. <laughs> Well, you know what? I was going to say this is a good little segue from the last conversation because SEC is just going for max distribution on this one. <laughs> who, who better? I love that. Right? Yeah. It's just like... Yeah, who better than Kim Kardashian? Who yeah. better than Kim Kardashian? Who's not going to write about that? No, no outlet that has ever... I mean, from the New York Times to probably, you know, I don't know what the other end of the spectrum from the New York Times would be, but like niche celebrity publications all that kind of stuff like you're going to get press coverage for everything just as a function of it's kim kardashian so i would go out on a limb and say like she's not the worst offender but she obviously has a material amount of reach too so you could also make the argument that the people with the biggest platforms have the most responsibility in making um recommendations like that but in the grand scheme of things, there's, uh, there are m- more nefarious activities going on, right? But this is a yeah, definitely. send a message. I mean, I'm looking at the Ethereum Max price right now. Yeah, to it's, clarify, it was for Ethereum Max, right? Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, let me read you the price of Ethereum Max. 0.000000000542 dollars. What was the highest? Did you see the highest? It was still... In the zero point something zeros, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, what's sad about that is what they do. I again, actually, not knowing anything about Ethereum Max. Going on, what was the? You know, sorry, was, I was on the. Ro- I was on. Somebody oh, probably okay. spun up a token yesterday oh, okay. because of the <laughs> new Ethereum story. Max. So Max. <laughs> this one only has uh, one day of uh, 
Trade oh, got it. Okay, here. okay. So wrong one. Okay. So I'm sure it was. Uh, I'm sure that the chart looks similar though. It was just because uh, I remember Floyd Mayweather was wearing an Ethereum Max hat for one of the fights. Yeah, I remember that. Maybe yeah. the Jake. What? Who fought him? Logan Paul was it? It was Jake yeah, Paul yeah, yeah. or Logan, no, Logan Paul as well? No. I've, yeah, yeah. Logan Paul. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. So the the question here is, there's a few things. One is. I mean, someone was sharing like a screenshot of what she had shared on her story. And it was, I will say like a little bad because it basically said, this is not financial advice, which is quite hilarious in itself. But my friends have been getting in on this thing. And it's like, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. like that's a, <laughs> and you're Kim Kardashian, you know, you're not a podcast yeah. called No Investment Advice. You're literally yeah, 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 yeah. somewhat the most famous person in the world. So yeah, th and it's also like saying my friend is getting into this. That's like it's not really disclosing it. I think that was also the problem yeah, that's here. The problem, it it's not a paid ad, and I think yeah, I don't know what the um, it's a definite um, definite message to be sent to people with platforms that are basically promotion promoting without disclosure their like interest in this thing i was she was paid two hundred fifty thousand dollars to promote it i think and yeah probably took some of that compensation in the token itself again i don't know if that's true so don't hold me to that but <laughs> yeah. i would imagine that's how a lot of this stuff works right it's like you have material upside attached to your endorsement of this thing and that's when it starts to get a little, little shady naughty. Yeah yeah, yeah yeah and then i think the other thing to call out and this was a question in the ama i think um was it dylan i think i can't remember who asked this but i think it was dylan asked essentially our take on this and specifically around securities and i think that is interesting obviously we had uh sailor on the pod he was going all, all out to say ethereum was a security right i think unregistered security mm -hmm, or something mm -hmm, mm -hmm. this is ethereum max it's not ethereum but interestingly yeah I, I don't know enough about the legal side of this thing so i'm not going to try to pretend but I'm, I'm i'm wondering if this is going to set precedent for like other assets crypto assets are they all going to just become securities is there going to be an exception for bitcoin you know we, we don't know the no i don't know the the details of this but yeah anything else on, on that one yeah it's not great it's basically the the thesis right it's yeah. like the for for, for the crypto's reputation at large too, where if you want to dissuade a large number of people from participating in permissionless markets of any kind, the average person's not going to know the difference between Ethereum Max and Ethereum. They're just going to say, oh, scam, crypto yeah. scam. There's, there's, it sets back the adoption of legitimate crypto projects by a good amount, I would say. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I was even, I did an interview yesterday for Creator Lab. It's coming out next week with, um, Jesus Christ, my mind's gone complete. But Annie Duke, sorry, Annie Duke, who's, uh, she, she works with First Round Capital nowadays, but she's got a famous book called Thinking in Bets, and she was a famous yeah, poker great. player. Really cool. But she's, you know, really smart working in tech. And like just talking to her, someone of her level about crypto, it was very much the old narrative. And like she, and it felt like she was saying, 
oh well I, I remember this hype in the last year and I just everyone was talking about you know Bitcoin being um, an inflation hedge but now where are all those people when inflation is super high which is a fair criticism yeah, yeah. but I, I would say like what we talk a lot about like let's say Bitcoin Ethereum specifically being primarily driven by confidence and not just usage essentially like obviously usage and utility you'd hope is the main reason anyone uses those things but in reality everything is partly a meme and based on the the um you know the confidence in in that security or asset or whatever you want to call it so i, I just think someone like her who actually is close enough to like she's literally working with startups she's working with like some of the most famous investors in silicon valley mm -hmm. Even someone like her who's pretty close to it is having that feeling in this bear market. And I feel like that is indicative of like these sort of stories are going to make that even more so the case. It's going to give someone like her like that loose headline of, oh, yeah, well, that was a scam. And you just group it all together, like you said, especially when the name is Ethereum Max. So, yeah, I think that isn't a good thing. Um, at the same time, honestly, for me personally, it's like you kind of do need to call out these like bad actors as well and long term if this was ever going to be a real thing you you need to be able to have rules and regulations in place like there's nothing wrong with rules and regulations if they actually like filter out bad stuff um so yeah i, I don't think it's the end of the world but it is interesting the way they kind of came out it just seems like a bit of a movie right like gary gensler is like tweeting about kim kardashian and some made-up crypto coin it's like super weird yeah but it's uh Weirdly enough, it's like uh, the new normal, shall we say. This is like the yeah, zeitgeist now with the way people thinking about money and talking about... Like, we, I think when we started this podcast, we basically said, and it's probably one of the catalysts for why we're still doing it, is like investing, money, markets have all become like pop culture now. I would think yeah. 40 years ago, 50 years ago, the like influencers of that time and financial markets were just way more like boring out of the, this is my assumption based on what I've been told by people a good amount older than me is like nobody even really thought about finance in that way. It's just this like um, even investment banking at the beginning, I think the maybe the Wolf of Wall Street unpacks this where it's like derivatives and markets were just went like steroid turbo mode in the like late 70s early 80s and since then it's just like leaked into pop culture way more and then add the internet to the equation it's like everybody has robin hood on their phone you know crypto coin x y and z is like yeah exactly five minutes away and then i had like ridiculous economic pressure and social media you're seeing how well x person is doing like it's just a like a weird pervasive part of life now and it's just yeah it feels normal to me well, i think least. in our parents generation i can't speak for the us but in the uk anyway it felt like in my small world the equivalent for them instead of meme stocks and you know uh, all the stuff we've got involved with it was buy a property buy a real estate that mm. was like the the like my parents the mouth and the wealth meme the wealth meme exactly exactly that's and they're still around today or obviously and rightly so um in many ways but that was the leading narrative of oh if you save a little bit of money 
you buy your own house and then you buy the next and then you buy a house and rent it out it's always a good investment like the, there are parallels between what is yeah, happening right. now and honestly like the fire movement of S&P 500 forever is going to go up 8 to 10% and I'm a little worried because like that could have been a little I mean if you bought you know I shared with you that video of Chamath talking about the like 40% of mortgages in the UK apparently are interest only yes. And the price, uh, you know, the interest rates are obviously going up everywhere. And now for a lot of people who don't even realize, like, their mortgage payment's going to go up like crazy if they hadn't, you know, locked something in. Added to, like, you know, cost of living crisis, energy bills going up, you know, inflation everywhere, unemployment probably will pick up if we get into a proper recession. So, yeah, not looking good. But, um, yeah, it's a bit of a crazy crazy time but i would say my yeah that that idea of like property for our parents is even my dad who worked in banking anytime i talk to him about stocks he's like yeah but that's like speculation and I, and i'm like well yeah but everything speculation like there's still speculation in buying a house you don't know if you bought in 2007 just before everything crashed or if you bought in 1992 and like 20 years later you look like a genius and uh, so there's there's all these sort of like narratives that have been around forever and now we've replaced them with certain types of narratives but they're not i guess the question is like which one hangs around which one becomes lindy and evergreen i still think real estate probably isn't gonna go away in that oh, way yeah, yeah, yeah. in terms of like the meme of it all um unless I mean, I there's like a crazy crash again you know and and it's like uh there's a finite component to that too that's true i, I think um kyla scanlon you know um she makes tiktok videos she's the now singer yeah no she's contributing she's contributing to bloomberg opinion now and she okay, did a great it, so check that out she did a great um video on like american housing crisis basically where there's a like the supply issue is so extreme where they just we're just not building enough houses so you know like the economics 101 interpretation of that is just a pure like there's x number of people that need a place to live and there's y number of places to live and the market will respond to that in like allocating more and more and more resources towards that until there's a there's a you know a change in those dynamics so i feels like a more you know i can see why people believe in that more than they do with ethereum Max, yeah completely let's just say that yeah, yeah yeah of course well yeah like you said <laughs> limited supply um actually and also genuine utility right like people right, live people in the house there, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and that's and that that idea of it's always like that you speak to people even my age and you'll say like my friend's trying to buy a place here in brooklyn and it's way over the amount he should probably be putting uh you know buying for and now even with the interest rates going up what he was going to get last year versus this year is like two three x right his monthly payment but he's still really set on like no but this is the best thing long term which might be the case who knows but it's just this thing of like oh no matter what it's always going to be a good investment and if enough people believe that it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy in a way yeah yeah, um, yeah. i mean like you know, brooklyn is is another meme to add into the meme of property right it's like oh my god yeah people get to a certain age you live in america or you live anywhere in the world and you want to be 
in that place. There's not that many. If you want to live in Brooklyn, yeah, you could argue that there are other cities that have similar dynamics, but not many, and they're not yeah. going to be... It's like the sailor argument, right? It's like, I think he uses a Miami Beach analogy and Manhattan all the time. It's like, there's so little space they've had to like build up 900 feet, whatever, however big those buildings are, um, which is just a, like almost a, like a physical manifestation of a market, right? It's like, it's like mm, literally yeah. going literally up building up vertically. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. It's pretty funny. I, love what, I like the way your brain thinks, Jack. That's oh, thank you, mate. Yeah, this is, I think it's a, like, there's probably some visual analogy there. Yeah, where you just, you have to be in this place. So the only way- you This know, sounds like a visualized would... value in the making here with a yeah, with the building one. going up here, or maybe yeah. like multiple buildings, like, you know, like a, like a chart, what's it? What are they called again? You know, the chart where you've got the green and red lines? I should know this, but you know, like when you're looking at a chart. Oh, candles. Or, or, the yeah, candles. candles, exactly, yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. But the candles would be, you know, like flats or like apartment blocks. There we go. Yeah, man. It's. I think it's, and then there's probably amazing historical data for that too, where, um, you know, these metropolis centers, maybe COVID was like the only real shock to that in the last, like, amount of recorded history you know like i knew people that were re-signing their like leases in new york in 2020 for just ridiculously low prices and like landlords panicking selling stuff for nothing and then the and honestly, year later it was like a thousand dollars more yeah, or something yeah, crazy yeah, like that yeah. like it was insane amounts of increase the, but the age-old adage isn't it the uh buy when there's blood in the streets that's uh those people are all going to be all right People are snapping up property in the middle and of the And sell panic. when people are buying monkey gifts Frothing for at the mouth. 500 yeah. grand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the old adage. Is that from uh, Socrates or something? Uh, that All one's right. going to age well. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 100%. All right. So, yeah, no, that was a good tangent. I wasn't expecting us to go there, but definitely... Uh, I, the only thing I was going to say, actually, last thing on real estate, without knowing too much about it, uh, friends of mine on the west coast who own property uh, or like i've even seen this online people trying to sell property right now like just in in silicon valley or like san francisco specifically like you know everyone was like new york's dead and san francisco's dead but people have moved to miami and nashville and stuff like that which to a certain extent has happened but new york right now is nowhere near what it was right like compared to the pandemic it's people the rents are crazy there's like mm -hmm. 50 people waiting for an application. I don't know if it's the same. I doubt it's the same in San Francisco because a lot of people have actually like left like because of remote work. And um, in tech, there's more people who actually are able to do remote work versus in New York, like anyone who's working a legal firm or like, you know, traditional companies, a lot of them were the first to get back in the office. So it's not to yep. say macro long term, there won't be more remote work obviously that's happening and already has happened but i think like certain places like san francisco are just getting hit even harder so i think that is potentially like a really big issue for if you own property there like that might be not the the best thing in the next six to 12 months well i think the san francisco meme was already on the downtrend even before that's covid true. right there was like yeah. so much so much mismanagement at the like governmental level at least how it's portrayed on the internet like i've i've spent yeah, time yeah, in san I'm francisco same, yeah. but i don't yeah, live yeah, there yeah. 
So I might be extrapolating from uh, like all of the most extreme cases, but there was like a reputation beginning to form before COVID that like San Francisco wasn't as pleasant as it once was. Yeah, and you saw and people just going that. into Target and just taking a bunch of stuff, no one stopping them. And apparently it was because of uh, decriminalization or something like that. Yeah. And, and I don't know if this is true, similar to you. Like I've just heard this. Um, and I, I mean, all in guys love this, don't they? They go the all in guys love yeah, yeah, yeah. running onto it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I mean, and, and then obviously the other part honestly was the homeless situation both in LA and San Francisco has got like a lot worse as well so mate California though like we'll say is just like has a monopoly on the best geographic features on the planet man it is the yeah. best beautiful in the world the beach the water the mountains the forest the desert the food wine country mate. Yeah, there's it everything there. Bangs. There's a it's reason beautiful. why it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, people want to live there, man. Bang. Even even if it's like, oh, there might be a, um, you know, the the there might be a massive tidal wave or an earthquake that's going to wipe out everything at any given moment. It's like beach is nice. We're going to live here anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like, we'll risk it. We'll risk it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Definitely I agree. Yeah, beautiful place. Definitely beautiful place. Yeah. Uh, all right, mate. Let's get on to the AMA questions for part two of the show. Uh, anything else on Kim K before we move on? I'm no, just going to skip. We said the, the, go on. Go on, the fine was like 1.5 million, and a lot Apparently, of people frame yeah. that up as like the marketing expense, right? Cost of doing business. It's the same as like JP Morgan getting fined a couple, like, hundred million for doing X number of billion dollars of illicit transactions. And I yeah. don't know, um, I'm JP Morgan, I'm just using as an example there, but HSBC, you know, laundering money for some cartel and it's, here's a, basically a slap on the wrist relative to what you, you hate you know, HSBC, man. I hate HSBC, <laughs> I hate them. They, by, by the way, they closed down all my accounts last year. So just out of the money I bought some Bitcoin get- or something. Oh, no, no, no wait, they closed out. What? You lost your money in there? Yeah, it's not a lot. It wasn't a huge amount, but it was like, I think I probably missed the deadline. So they sent something. In oh, the yeah, post okay. said, like, I had like, yeah, like a hundred bucks in there or something and nothing got crazy. It, got but, it. Uh, I, I was already like trying to get You're out done of there, with but it. they, yeah. Uh, not the best experience. Not advised. Not advised. Yeah, yeah. The opposite. <laughs> all right, all right. That is financial right. advice. That Don't is use financial HSBC. advice. Yeah. <laughs> all right ama let's get straight to it thanks for everyone who submit questions let's just kick off we kind of got to start with this one warren said what did you get done this week and, nice. <laughs> and for anyone who didn't see that that was a question from elon musk to parag agawa i think the ceo of twitter in one of those uh texts <laughs> he basically was like what did you guys get done this week? Like talking about Twitter, it was like the most incredible question. Um, you can answer that or we can move on to the next question if you actually had well, something. I told you already, I finished defense and uh, I'm back, man. I'm back on the visualized value output. Been smashing week, it. Man. Yeah, I've been, I've been seeing put, some beautiful been, ones uh, up. Putting some hours in. Thank you, mate. All right. Yeah, same for me. I've been planning Q4 because it's, you know, we're living life in quarters and uh, yeah, a lot of like work related stuff, but also honestly, a lot of personal stuff. I'll be traveling a lot. I'm going to be going to California, upstate again, to London for Christmas, friend's bachelor party. Um, and it Man, may be doing it. a bigger trip in Q1 to get out of cold. So there's a lot of things going on there. And uh, yeah, just been keeping it clean, man. That's been that's been the Thank theme for the last respect. few months. 
been it's going fun. real hard yeah been picking up a bunch of sports that's been fun um right. but yeah apart from that just the, the regular stuff so i didn't really uh build much this week but it was getting quite a lot done so i feel good about it all right building in the bear chance asks, what are y'all building in the bear that was my best <laughs> american accent abysmal <laughs> I have to say, over text, I do say you all quite a lot to people. It really throws people off because it sounds like I'm like a Southern Belle from Yo. Texas. But um, And then when they speak to me on the phone, they're like, what? This guy is from Why East London or something. Um, but yeah, so what are you building in the bear, Jack? Well, I got a couple, um, I signed a couple deals. Can't disclose them yet, but doing a couple of... Um uh, collaborations with Visualize Value for some equity and some uh, tech oh, startup. Sick. So we'll be doing nice. some, uh, doing some uh, brand stuff, some diagrammatic marketing materials to explain some tech products. Uh, got a couple of books. Diagrammatic, what does that mean? So like <laughs> the Visualize Value approach, basically diagrams that explain oh, how got a platform it. works or something like that oh um, sick okay cool that makes a lot of sense okay yeah so a little um actually this is uh i don't think i told you boys this year i bought venture with two v's.com oh no way yeah, that is yeah, yeah. sick that is a sick name yeah thank you mate so that's gonna and be for like, anyone who's uh, in your discord knows everyone loves using the two v's for the yeah, brubs yeah, and yeah. anything where you can throw in a v or a w you get the v's involved yeah that's another thing is like this um probably a few people listening to this have read network state so we're taking Valages vv thing yeah we're taking vv to the network state oh two w's in the network. okay sick just, you know there's this this so there's this uh this um, tweet by Vitalik is basically answering someone's question of how do you start a network state is basically his summation, which has been like what we've been doing is like you build the communication layer first, right? You put out stuff that is uh, a conduit for connecting like-minded people. You build a communication layer, you have a community, you make that um, really robust and then you can begin to think about the, the frame I've been using is like, what's your export? So if you're, if you're a nation state, your place in the world is determined by what you can export. If you're a network state, same thing, right? But the limiting factor to truly exist on the internet is what you can collaborate on virtually and what you can produce and sell virtually. So we've been running a few little experiments in the, Oh, in sick. The I love that. And building some little products and stuff. Yeah, the idea is like, are you selling Chinese goods made in a in a factory or are you selling financial services like the UK used to or, or does still, right, right, you know, right. or are you making art? Like, yeah, that's that's a great, I love that uh, idea. Um, all right, so that's, I mean, yeah, whenever you can share more on that, that sounds very exciting. I love the name, first of all, Venture 2Vs. Thank you. That's perfect. Yeah, I don't know how I didn't think of that. We've talked about, like, <laughs> investing stuff before, and I like, don't know how that didn't ever come up. But, um, so, yeah, do you know when you're able to talk more about any of those two things, like the... Yeah, I'm going to try and build a little site with uh, a couple of the case studies, and then we can all do right, a little, uh, little chat. All right, cool. That'll be, we'll add that to the docket. Perfect. All right, let's move on to the next one. Um, 
Joe asked, OpenSea versus Look, Looks Rare. I know we've talked about Looks Rare way back in the day, but this might be a quick one because I'm not using really either at the moment. So for Jack, who's been more, you've been more involved with NFTs, obviously selling them, collecting them. What's the situation? Yeah, Is mean, there a perception change of any of those? Yeah, excuse me. OpenSea obviously got like first mover network effect. That's where people set up their like a lot of people set up their first wallet or interacted with the first time. So there's a lot of lock-in with like listings, their email notifications that people are getting from there. And then looks rare feels like this response to that um, incumbent, even though this is like a fresh new industry, this is like a, you know, a challenger brand of a challenger brand, I guess OpenSea weren't competing with anyone necessarily. Like they're the first NFT marketplace that at least at that kind of scale. Um, and looks rare is definitely built with different, um, incentives in mind. Obviously they launched a token. They're trying to drive value back to the people who use the platform in a different way than OpenSea. And there's a lot of talk at the moment about hope OpenSea is like censoring collections. And there's like a good amount of control at the top level in OpenSea versus looks rare, which to me feels like more of a. Is built more on the tenets of Web3, right? It, it, more of the philosophies are agreed upon of how, you know, Web3 products should be built by the like diehard community. Looks rare, feels like it um, fulfills that promise. So, Got um, it. but in terms of volume, NFTs across the board are just pretty flat. So, uh, yeah, but in pretty nuked, right? Like in terms of well, you're going to save money shopping on LuxRare. So if you're buying an NFT, you're going to really? pay less on LuxRare. Just as a function of there's a two and a half percent fee on everything OpenSea sells. Got it. Yeah, that's a good. Yeah, I didn't even think of that. Yeah, especially if you're spending a lot of money like people were. Um, that two and a half percent adds up pretty quickly. Yeah, and it's kind of like the argument, I guess, becomes you can get more eyes on your thing on OpenSea, so you're paying the fee for distribution. There's like reasons that markets function in the way they function. It's not like uh, everybody just use this, the, um, the, uh, like the distribution of activity does come into that as well. But I mean, I'm still, still bag holding my uh, looks tokens. So let's, uh, <laughs> let's hope for a comeback there. Holding a few things there still, man, me too. Yeah. I don't think I've pretty much sold any NFTs. I'm probably again absolutely done, but yeah, it's, it's all good. Um, all right, there's a couple questions here for me. I'll just try tackling them. Quick one, Trung asked, um, <laughs> I don't know if this one was a joke, but I'll do it quickly. Trung asked, why did Bilal shut down the Arsenal blog? The, the, technically it never shut down, but yeah, I mean, in reality, yeah, I'm not been active on there for a long time. Um, to put it in perspective, I did it for like six, seven years. So it wasn't like I just started this thing for like a, a summer on my school break and then like never did it again. I did it for like quite a long time. Um, the I was 16 when I started it. So it was through my A-levels in the UK, which is before university, then all the way through university and then after. So the, the kind of short answer is like I needed to focus on other stuff, obviously, like both university and then getting a job. Um, and then I started working at Google and that obviously took over. So just to yeah. keep it going was just too much. And I really wanted to focus my efforts. I find it very difficult. I'm already doing like multiple things, but just like I'm quite an all or nothing person. So when I'm doing it, I'm like writing on every single game and getting 20 writers and, you know, it's quite a lot to manage. And it, it didn't make that much money. It was just like small amounts on advertising. 
Um, and this was before like everyone's building a newsletter and even big on social and doing video like that just wasn't happening at the time. So yeah, I still own it, uh, the domain. And I still, I actually moved over to creating a newsletter potentially on it because I was like interested in maybe just doing it for jokes for mm. myself, but I, I'm not, I haven't really been doing it. So I still have it, but the, the short answer was, yeah, I've, I got busy doing other stuff and I needed to focus on on that. So that's why, but I still have not missed a game since that time. I'm, I watch every single game. I'm like pretty hardcore. And uh, honestly, I think I've become more hardcore in the last few years, even more than the past. So that might mean I end up doing something in it again because it's just something I like naturally love, like more than yeah, most yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. So Man, it uh, seems like it seems like the opportunity for it is just getting ludicrous too. Like the states picking up on, crazy. on like watching it and the fandom. Like I've seen in the time that I've lived in the states, it's just ridiculous. Like the, yeah. You're viewership right. between world cups was like why well, it really flipped my understanding of how fast it was growing i guess when there was a first it was probably was 2014 was there a world cup in 2014 yeah i can't or, remember the dates but yeah whatever it was there's four years between them the first one i went to in new york was like nobody in the pub and then the, the oh, next yeah. four, four years later you couldn't get in anywhere oh just yeah like, yeah yeah, yeah you're right yeah yeah on terms of football here it's really picked up and then even like the mls has grown but also just even like just uh, i was listening to something this morning um the arsenal away kit this year like you know they sell the jerseys it's the most successful kit launch they've ever had that's that, that black and gold or something yeah isn't it? it's so it's good sick. though yeah it's beautiful it sold 80 percent more than the home kit which is also just something like just shows like the level of commercialization and Adidas have just renewed, basically paid a bunch of money up front to renew this early. And like that doesn't normally happen that much. So just like there is a lot more money coming into the sport overall, especially the Premier League. Um, yeah. I will say on the flip side, like there's two parts of the equation, there's supply and demand on the supply side, if you want to call it that, there's, you know, more podcasts than ever, you know, there's more fan channels. That's and, true, and, that's true. But also the appetite for that has also grown. So, yeah, I think it's really interesting. You know, I would only ever do something if I felt like I could add something unique to it again and I could actually fully commit to doing it properly. So, yeah, it seems obvious for me to do something again, though. Uh, if I had, like, two, three friends, like the way us guys do this every week, I would just that were of similar-minded people. Arsenal. Yeah, 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 yeah. that were Arsenal people, but also people who like building stuff because that's the key because I have a bunch of friends who are Arsenal fans, but I need someone who's like you guys who are like, you get, I don't even have to ask you guys about, oh, we're going to put this out. We're going to create clips. Right, we're right, going right. to do a podcast, whatever. If I'm just speaking to my friend who's a random Arsenal fan, they might be entertaining, but they need to have the appetite for the other stuff. So at right. the moment, I haven't had that. So uh, that's the reason I haven't done more with it respect um there's one more question on for me but i can come back to that just to give people a break from listening to me um dustin asked one thing you've changed your mind on sounds like a tim ferris question anything that has come into mind for you jack one thing i've changed your mind on i mean over what time frame the Ma uh, maybe since we've done the podcast maybe that'll be a nice yeah, yeah, frame for something up um I've changed my mind on I think the um, some of the visualized some of the experience I've had with visualized value since we've been doing a podcast maybe 
there's been like there's this really weird contrast between doing this and doing visualized value because that is so like kind of regimented and it goes through this really specific filter and i think i was way more um what's the word i'm going to use here is like not necessarily reserved but more like the output was a little bit more scarce and focused and going through the process of like just showing up every week and doing an hour, hour and a half, two hours has been uh, like, it's been fun to work on that. And it's also like. So you talking about visualized valued one hour a week or. No, I'm talking about how different the output and the process is for producing yeah. this to visualize value. Where, oh, like the podcast you're saying. Yeah. yeah. Where it's like in the beginning, I was like skeptical that we'd have, enough to say or like there'd be a reason to show up every like every week and talk for yeah, an hour and a half or two hours but it's been a good like it does get me out thinking about different stuff um which is i think there are pros and cons to that because you like you have the split yeah focus. less focus but also gives you room to not just be like just in that one little world yeah and that's for, like that's been refreshing honestly like i would have gone a year ago or two years ago and been like absolutely do not do anything else but there's a huge caveat to that it has to like has to be additive in a different way right like it gets your brain going in a different way yeah um, same way like building a fence the last few weeks has been like that's not necessarily the highest roi activity you could possibly be doing but like gets you doing something different and like changes the way you think about stuff even like the stuff I have to read and research and think about to have these conversations is completely different. So I guess the, um, to summarize it's like the way in which we've been doing this has been very like good for my creativity in a different way than I thought it would. Oh, be. that's interesting. Yeah. I didn't think about it. It sounds like you're, if you're ever going to write a book, it's going to be like Zen and the art of, garden fences or something yeah. like that like because <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh yeah that sounds like a very philosophical moment you just had there with uh your dad in the last week or two no, it was no but i know yeah, what you're yeah, saying was, all jokes great. aside like just it sounds so cliche but like literally just being outside not near your phone is so obvious and everyone says it but like yeah most people don't actually do it and uh yeah even for me the last like month if you look at my like step like if you look at my fitbit app you just see I, I think i was doing like 25 30 000 steps a day like i was yeah, literally yeah, just well, put, yeah. pl putting my phone it's still on me but i was literally listening to like books long podcasts going for like long walks in the sun and like i'd go for like four hours sometimes and just be like writing notes down and like just giving myself room to do that which has been so so nice but um yeah honestly when the weather gets a bit like this it gets getting gray as you can see with my beanie on yeah, you kind of like, you switch gears a little bit. It's like another season again. So you just like hone in in a different way. But yeah, that's that's cool, man. That's a, I never thought of it like that. Um, I'll answer my, did you finish yours or was yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. I, so an answer for me, I'll say more specifically, since we talk about crypto and stuff quite a lot, I'll say um, I'm still incredibly bullish on, on everything, you know, in crypto. But I will say it's, I think... I caught myself being in that euphoria moment a little bit, like too much maybe. And um, and honestly, like talking to Michael Saylor on the pod, as much as it was amazing, 
if I was being objective with myself and said I was listening to that and didn't know anyone on that pod or him or have the context of the goat thing in the background, like the goat on the mountain, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would yeah. say that guy was chatting mad crazy stuff. Like, what are you talking about here? And I would, and I would be, I would probably leave it feeling less bullish on Bitcoin specifically because of the kind of maxi rhetoric. And this is obviously just like an isolated thing. I also think he does a lot of good for the space in some ways. Uh, and obviously I'm a fan of him as a guy, but like the, specifically like the idea of like maxis in any realm, like whether that's Bitcoin or Ethereum or religion or nutrition science, like I'm interested in anyone who gets to that level, which ends up being the black and white thing that spreads. But as someone who really cares about nuance and the truth, like I know that it's rarely ever one of those two things, but you need to simplify it for a message to get to many, many people. So um, I would say that's one thing I've probably changed my mind on in terms of just like, I feel like Bitcoin has always was always going to be like the number one thing if crypto was ever going to be around and probably is still going to be the case, but I'd probably have less conviction in that now than I did from two years ago, let's, or like, let's say know. a year ago from today. And that's not to say I'm like, I'm never, I haven't sold my Bitcoin, right? Like I still have it all, but I'm not necessarily like looking at it as like, oh, that's where people are developing the stuff that I think needs to be developed. And because of that close-mindedness for a lot of people, I haven't seen that happen. At the same time, I will say someone like Jack Dorsey, who's building Web5 in air quotes with Square, and he's gonna be using Bitcoin, I think, as the base layer for all the stuff they're doing. Maybe it'll be someone like him who actually does make something. But what I like about that is they're actually building real applications. They're not just saying you're evil for liking this other thing. Mm. They're actually building technology. So that's kind of one thing I've probably changed my mind on a little bit since, um, since, the last, since we've been doing this pod anyway. Love cool. It. Yeah. yeah. All right, I will. Uh, I think you're, you're right for a little time. We've got a few more. Should we just? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. All right, cool. Um, I'll come back to my one again in a second because I was just chatting here. Um, all right, this one's quite an interesting one. Um, Danny asks, What are the biggest, most valuable things you've learned from each other? Uh, I will I have a few in mind, and I'll, I can include Trung in this as well. Do uh, I don't know if anything's come to mind. If it's going to be too hard to do it, if you need time to think, we can also no, skip no, this got, one. No, no, I got one All right, immediately. Cool. But you go. All right, go on. Do you want? Do you want to go first? Yeah, mine's going to be fast. It's like I think um, the the cool thing about doing this has been like letting people sort of lean into their own strengths, you know. And like I, I have resisted building a team for anything just because I just like can't be bothered telling people what to do. And this context has just been like, if you find the right people and just show up, good stuff happens. Like the, um, like the level of trust in just knowing, um, maybe not even knowing, like the, the trust that comes from like having these like skills that na are naturally different or perspectives that are naturally different, make something that you couldn't make by yourself. So yeah, yeah, maybe that's a, like, Maybe that's not a specific lesson. It's been more of a um, that learning like from the experience, though. Yeah, yeah, and it's and it's because you start something together. It's different too, right? When you build something by yourself and then you bring people into it, it's like you always feel like weirdly protective of it, or I do at least. I shouldn't say yeah, definitely. Same. Everybody, but it's like oh, I don't, 
I don't know if like this is changing the DNA of the thing or it's like messing with what made it work in the first place. Yeah, but yeah. You're going to start something with people and you all contribute equally and you all have like slightly different perspectives and skills, which I think we have. Um, it's made me more open to, uh, you know, working with people on stuff, which has been a great. Yeah, that's lesson. a great way to put it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's an interesting one. Also, specifically, I'd say us three starting something together is not the same. So like for me personally, I'm just saying working with you two is very different to working with, let's say two employees or mm. even two people in my right. team or like a contractor, right? Because the power dynamic is there's no power dynamic. We're all equal, right? So there's there's that side, which is mostly a good thing, but also like in terms of like decision-making and getting stuff done, sometimes having a hierarchy does help as well. Um, the other thing is you're also not just two random people. You're both like creative people who, you know, put stuff on the internet, right? So I think we all share that in common. And I think with that comes like a mutual respect between all of us. Like we all know we get certain things. We know like when someone writes a stupid comment, we don't, it doesn't really get to us because we're like, oh, that's, we've seen a thousand of those, right? And, or, um, you know, if something goes wrong, we're all like, oh, that's fine. It's not end of the world. And I think um, specifically with a podcast for me, going from Creator Lab where it's just me and, you know, I have editors and stuff as well, but there's no one, I'm the one who's saying, do it in this way. and I want it at a certain standard. You know, you work with me, like I'm doing yeah, yeah, the yeah. sound check and I'm making sure as close as we can, make it as good as we can. But honestly, once, since we've done NIA, I've like allowed myself to be like, oh, it doesn't have to be 10 out of 10 every single time in terms of like audio quality, sound, whatever. It just needs to be good enough, which is mm -hmm. generally something I believe in. But I think with Creator Lab, it was always something that I could stand out with that. So when everyone else was just doing stuff on Zoom, I was doing in person and I was doing yeah, it on yeah, proper yeah. like cameras and I was doing 10 hours of research to do one interview and stuff like that. So that but when i work with you guys it's like well no we're not all me i know that and i know i'm a little crazy in my own way so i need to you know work towards what you guys have as strengths and you know make sure it's not too you know annoying essentially right to be like yo make sure we get this fixed whatever and so there's a balance there of doing that as a three than just doing it on my own for context, it took about nine months to get drunk <laughs> to buy a mic and well, what didn't that, sound like a tin can. Yeah, exactly. I think it took 70 something episodes, 60 something <laughs> episodes. Yeah, so I think that, well, that's a good example of like, if that was my own, just me on the podcast, like even I, I've basically, most guests now, like now I've become more chill with it, but for a long time, if a guest didn't have a mic, it was just gonna sound shit. So I just didn't want to do that interview for yeah, a long yeah, time. Fair enough. So it's just like, yeah, over time I've learned, you know, to be able to, you know, just make it good enough and prioritize our output here. And, you know, really what people are coming for is us three and like making sure we're well researched and spend time preparing, but also like it just needs to be good enough, especially on the sound and all that stuff side. I will say if we were say, doing this as a business, it would be a different thing. If we were like, yeah, oh, yeah, we've yeah. got a plan to grow to this size, all those things do add up over time and they compound. So I'm not against them in principle. It's just like, I'm putting it in its place. Like this is one part of my life of many different things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but like the, the activities that keep the momentum up are prioritized exactly. over, you know, like the yeah, things the that little details. you putting stuff out. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Uh, and then the other thing I'll say just real quickly, that was just in general from working with you guys, but then specifically for each of you, um, 
I'll say like Trung, one of the things I've learned is the dangers of Red Bull. But apart from that, there's, <laughs> there's also, no, I will say that when you talk to Trung about writing, uh, I obviously did another podcast with him recently on Creator Lab. If you're interested, it's like an hour and a half or something like that of us talking about his process and stuff. And like there's stuff that came out in there that I hadn't heard in our weekly chats. And just yeah. hearing him think about like every tweet in one of those threads needs to have context. He's like, if it's taken out of context, that one tweet, someone just reads that one tweet, that they, right, it needs right. to give context on its own. And that idea, it's not just about tweeting, it's that level Packaging. of detail. Yeah, yeah, packaging, yeah. exactly. And I know how, you know, um, serious he takes it, which I love and respect, right? And that is how I treat most creative stuff as well. And hearing him talk about writing specifically, is I've always appreciated, you know, like when we do the title, like he spits it out very quickly, pretty much. Uh, I might adjust like one or two things once in a while, but like his skill of doing that has come from doing the hundreds of thousands of reps of writing stuff right so uh, and obviously for you yeah uh, you know you are the best person i know at like simplifying stuff right whether it's in an actual visual or when we're talking about the name of the pod or what the pod's going to be that is something i obviously respect a lot as well and i think has has been good to is kind of get that experience working with you guys on that as well yeah and i would cap this question off with there would not be one episode of no investment advice <laughs> without Bilal and his uh yeah yeah appreciate uh, it mate organizational skills so yeah 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 no i appreciate it yeah good. definitely i definitely brought uh brought it to life in that way as well for sure man but yeah appreciate it a good question from denny uh, i think it was denny uh yeah and we've got another question from chris said as a group and as NIA, what are some of the forms of media you'd like to explore, e.g. ad supported newsletter, live streaming, AMAs? It would be good to have Trunks take on this too, but I'll just say quickly from my point of view, when we first started it, it was like a complete experiment. And right now it's basically just become like something we all enjoy doing. We're not really doing it to like, you know, grow to a certain level, to sell ads, like all that sort of stuff. Like we actively and not taking those opportunities for the moment. Um, I do think in the crypto bull market, there was probably an opportunity to do like, let's say a newsletter on crypto and explaining things in very simple terms. Because I think for a podcast, you can be quite broad and we, we are a bit more broad of what we're doing. But for something like a newsletter, like to be like, oh, well, you're gonna learn about crypto every day or every week. I think that there's a, there was, it still probably is a huge opportunity for that. Obviously, like Sean is now doing that with Milk Road and they're doing a great job of it. But I, I thought that was always a massive opportunity for someone to actually build a proper company from. I don't know if that would be something we do because I think for us, we're all doing our own things. Um, but who knows in the future? And the other thing is community-wise, live streaming, I think is interesting because we basically do this in one take. We don't really edit much. And I think that's something we should definitely try at some point. Um, we've got the green screen, we've got the stream deck. Like, I think we would enjoy doing it potentially. It's just for people to know though, like it does take more energy. Like if something goes wrong right now, we can cut it out. And sometimes that happens, like the signal goes or the mic messes up or whatever. In live, you don't get that. And there's a certain like um, stress that comes from doing it. And I don't want to take away that fun feeling that we will have doing it every week. And then the last part is community. Like obviously we have a Telegram group. We've talked for ages about a Discord, even Jack brought it up recently as well. Um, 
that would be something potentially to add in the in the medium term as well. You covered it, mate. That was good. All right, cool. All right, perfect. All right. Um, I think we only got a few left here. I'll just answer this one real quick. Someone asked, Denny asked, Bilal, what is your process for doing research for Creator Lab? I'll answer that very quickly or as quickly as I can. So I, it's actually changed quite a lot recently. I'm trying to actively do less because it used to take me just ages. Um, and just to fit it in my life, I've basically been streamlining that quite a lot. But generally speaking for like 95% of the interviews, I've done, I like mostly interviewing people I already know of or I'm interested in. And so I, over time, I'm already consuming some of this stuff. Like before Jack and I did an interview, I was already a fan of your stuff on Instagram. And so if there was stuff that I liked, I would save it. Sam Parr, I was listening to Man, My First Million for ages. And every time there was something interesting, I would add like a note in Evernote and just say Sam Parr podcast prep is like the template I have for the name podcast prep. So I can remember to search for it later. And I'll just add in little notes over time. And then whenever I book that person, because that kind of is like my signal to go and book that person. Once I get them, then I go back to it. I end up listening to podcasts. Nowadays, I use that app Snipped, I was saying, to save moments where I want to revisit that. Then I put that all into, you know, Evernote or Google Doc and I like, and I piece together the parts that are most interesting and I'm trying to find new stuff. So that's the second part is asking the guests, obviously. Uh, I, I don't know if I did it with you, but normally I would ask, um, are there things you haven't spoken about elsewhere or things that are top of mind right now mm -hmm. that you're interested in talking about? Because that's the new stuff that's going to be exciting for that person to speak about. So as a podcast host, my job is to just get that person excited, get them sharing the stuff that they're passionate about, like interested in. And then while we're in the conversation, I'll take it down tangents. But that's kind of how I think of it as like a base layer of like structure and then the stuff my style is very conversational so it naturally becomes kind of this middle ground and uh, th i've put, put this in on twitter before but i always think of my interview style as there's that like, conversations which is what you do with your friends at dinner there's interviews which are like very question and answer and mine's like very much in the middle i have like a structure where it's conversational but i don't like go it's not like joe rogan where he's like talking about monkeys and apes and then talking about doing DMT like it's is for a purpose and on the business side I feel like people want to know like stuff that's useful that they can actually implement and use for their own life so that's kind of my approach so that was that and uh, just to close us out here I think we got one or two more um, I don't know if you can share this because you were just talking about these companies Logan asked any US based companies in early stages worth looking at for working for work looking at working at basically um i don't know if, if anything comes to mind for you i would have said somewhere like a figma or something in the last few years but i would say it's quite hard to answer that question without knowing like who that person is their skill set yeah, their financial what you, situation what you care about yeah what you care about yeah so there's not really any for me like that i would especially call out but i would say if you're really early in your career the, the need for money and like having a base is important but you can afford to like do more riskier stuff and just like you know go and learn i also think this really depends if you're a technical person or like a business person because it, it's very different in startups is anyone coming out for you there jack yeah i agree i agree with you on like the it's highly dependent on the person i think there are like a lot of 
really like bizarre challenges in the world of web three that are like still well funded from last year that have uh that are hiring people um looks rare oh yeah okay yeah i think i think yeah so it's like a risk appetite thing and i think the maybe the like meme now is swinging to ai you know we had crypto nfts now we're in the ai part of the well the 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 macro tech trend is ai so you're gonna see a bunch of things pop up there so my um i don't know my advice or my instinct would be like choose a job based on what you can learn that will be transferable versus like this very specific vertical right like you allow in your career understand like how to acquire customers and it doesn't matter what industry or vertical or software company you end up working in as a function of that and some people will approach that completely different right like i want to work on rockets or aerospace or whatever yeah, so yeah. versus like my the function the door yeah. versus like i'm just want to have like a skill that is transferable across all of these different things and i think that that both of those approaches will work in um in any business too like one is obviously restricted by the industry but the other is just like a mentality when you're in there like what am i learning that is just a fundamental set of skills is transferable elsewhere yeah that's a good point could ask you know what you've worked in so many different companies like over the years and then you've done like your own freelance agency stuff and now you do your own stuff now fully with visualized value you know like those big moments where you moved like to a new company or something and you're trying to figure out the next step like how would you usually think about it and has that like changed now i think i just had like a idiotic appetite for risk basically is one of my answers like yeah. one because i was in like already in the states so it was like it was basically a test run from the beginning it was like i'll go and try this thing out and i did a lot of like extremes so i would go from like i worked at my first agency job with five people worked there and then i went to work at an agency with thirteen thousand people so it was like i would go like the ends of the barbell basically and then i worked for you know, an agency where I'd work on 15 client projects a quarter, and then I would go work in-house at a brand where you're doing the same thing over and over again. And basically just like filling out all the blind spots in all these different areas. Like, I think in hindsight, that's really like, I had an itch for novelty. So every like nine months, I'd be like, I'm bored. I need to do yeah. something else. And um, sometimes that was... I think it was both the work and the environment that I tried to get a different exposure to. And it was, most of it was just a function of like hoping that the same shit I was frustrated with wouldn't be true somewhere else. You know, it was like, oh, this is smaller, so it won't be like that. But then you get there and it's like, oh, there's a different thing that's uh, frustrating about this. And then eventually just got to the point where it's like you're 10 or 11 jobs in, you're like, okay, the, like, I can find fault with all of this. Let me try and do something myself. And then you fail a bunch of times and you realize a lot of the things that you are frustrated with are just a function of the way certain things work in agency businesses in particular, where it's like you're pitching to middle managers that have like weird incentive structures. You don't really yeah, have that much control. Yeah. 
and I worked for tech companies that weren't like they were in New York. It wasn't like I never got the exposure to like proper Silicon Valley technology culture. So I can't really comment on that that accurately. Um, but I think there's obviously an incredible amount to learn in environments like that where the responsibility you have is just obscene and you're in the room for conversations at the at the like business operations level. So it took me like five years to ever get to a point where it was like, here's the spreadsheet that breaks down what we're charging mm. for this job and what we're gonna yeah. make. Took me so long to get there. You mean it from the agency like, side, you mean, yeah? Correct. So yeah, you're yeah, like, like the like PL, you're seeing the PL like yeah, this designer is costing X amount. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It took so long to get there. Or like it just took so long to kind of get it into your head. Cause I might have even like laid out like uh budget slides and stuff like that when I was starting out. But there was also this like weird culture of like keeping that hidden. Yeah. I think in technology it's way more a part of the culture. It's like, this is how many users we have, this is how many users we need. You're so much closer to the market, and that's like it you want to learn fast, get as close to the market as you can. Yeah, that's a great that's a great point there. Like just like cause you're getting exposure to something which is again with the goal of I want to do this myself one day, right? That's probably the lens we're looking mm -hmm, at it. But mm -hmm. in general, like to accelerate learning, I'll say similarly for me, like one of the jobs I probably learned the most in was my first job at Google before I got promoted and got onto bigger clients on paper and brands you would have heard of. There was basically the mid-market sales. They, they kind of got rid of this division. Eventually, they like merged it into the big part. But I was basically talking at 21 years old to people that were in the category of spend for Google. That was the top tier, but you'd probably not heard of most of the companies. Mm. So they were actually the best sort of companies for someone like me because they were like small to medium-sized businesses that were making millions. Yeah. And I'm basically this 21 year old kid who knows a little bit about like internet stuff and they don't. So I'm able to like add value from day one. And, but then they're like, yeah, well we just got, I remember this one guy, he was a Rolls Royce engineer and he ended up like randomly selling like beauty products on the internet and it grew into this like big business. And I remember just, he, they would like give you access to Google Analytics and I would see it's basically the That's accountancy cool. of the web, right? Like you're seeing where your traffic comes from, how much you paid for it, or if it was free, what is working. What you made off it, yeah, yeah, Where yeah. the opportunities are. Are there countries that people, are, and I would then get access to say Google data where I'm looking at, okay, there's a million people searching for this in Sweden, but you are not serving Sweden and you're not ranking organically. So maybe that's an area we can flip that on the switch for you. And you, I would directly see the impact of it. And that was honestly so satisfying because yeah, as you probably know by now, if you listen to this, I love business and like the power of the entrepreneur as much as anyone. And for that guy to have like three, four or five employees and to be able to pay them because of something we ended up identifying was like really, really, like gratifying at the same time it was like learning those skills of like what would that person you're basically going in their head for a day right or for the quarter or for a year or however long you work with them and um and yeah so i would say something like that where you're actually getting exposed to a lot of different businesses for me was like really really helpful um and like it's technically it was called sales but like it was it was mostly like consultative stuff it was more like oh, you're doing this one thing, how can you do it better? And I'll show you, oh, I found this opportunity, it's gonna make it, it's gonna work better for you. Now, you don't really get that as much, especially at like Google. I know those people serve 
me and my company and they're like just reading off a screen like here's seven yeah. things you should be doing yeah. um but like in 2010 there was none of that built out so you're manually yeah. pulling it yourself and that's that's i think where the like analogy to the old marketing and advertising agency comes in right it's like the business gets so mature there's so many people involved at that point there it's like not everybody is this like scrappy on the day uh like has a one-on-one -on -one relationship with the principle of the business they're serving that was the one yeah. thing that like clicked for me where i was like the decision the difference yeah the difference between like pitching to somebody who's just trying not to get fired to like yeah. somebody who's like responsible for the PL. and there's in some ways you could say like it's hard to like you have to have a skill set that is almost like full stack to get that opportunity in many ways right where you're having the conversation you're taking the information from that conversation and you're producing an outcome versus in a bigger environment you take the information and then you give that information you to someone pass else it on to, someone, gives else, it to yeah. someone else who gives it to who tries to and there's definitely businesses that are like incredibly capable of doing that but for the most part like when you're trying to learn stuff if you're like if you're like 10 steps removed from the function that you're trying to make happen in whatever it is it's really hard to learn that way and you actually learn like opposite or you learn like the wrong stuff you learn yeah how to, to do the bad alive. stuff yeah you learn how to keep alive in the business versus like get the result and that was like how i came out of the gate as an agency owner was like we're gonna do it different man we're you know <laughs> i called my agency opponent like we're skill over oh, scale yeah, yeah, with yeah, this with yeah, that. Yeah, yeah i was going after the same clients who were just like yeah, that's all nice, but I'm not trying to get fired, you know? Like, uh, that, they don't want things to change. Like most of because you assume, that's a great point. Like uh, one um, example that comes to mind for me again, like I can't say their name, but um, like a well-known, you know, multinational retailer, let's say. Yeah. So I would be speaking to them and they would literally, I would speak to the CMO and they're like, we're one company, like the brand and the retail and the omni-channel, like all these buzzwords. We're yeah, all yeah, moving yeah. towards the same beat or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, that's cool. That sounds, and that's their job, right? Like to align people around this. And then you go and speak to each division head or whatever. And I literally had people, let's say, let's say the head of e-commerce would say, oh, that sale going to the store in Times Square or whatever, I don't want that happening from my paid ads because right. I don't get credit for that. And I, I yeah, get yeah, where yeah. they're coming from. Like you said, they're literally trying to save their jobs and they're trying to hit their number to report up to that same boss who said we all should be on the same page. And right, then right, I would right. be like, all right, I get what you're saying. But then I'd go speak to that main person again and say, like without obviously like snitching on people, I'd yeah, basically yeah, be like, hey, yeah, like yeah. this is some of the challenges. Like people are in their silos and you're not being able to give you know it's kind of that person's problem because they have they've said one thing but the incentives they've designed have not accounted for them so they saying we're all working together but the person's bonus is being paid on hitting an e-commerce goal yeah, so yeah, it's just yeah. those sort of things it's like very difficult to actually um like it makes sense in in like in a as an idea but until you kind of like see it in practice you're like oh that is that person who's just scared 
like everyone else like of losing their job they just want to get promoted they want to do yeah. buy that extra car and like do whatever it is in their normal life and that's quite a hard thing especially as someone who's like entrepreneurial because you just assume everyone should be working towards the same thing and i find that a lot with like people who come from smaller companies to big companies like that experience is a big difference as well right like you're seeing all the politics play out Mm -hmm. and um yeah so it sounds exactly what you were kind of mentioned there yeah and and like the other thing i would say to be uh a, like fair on overall conversation is working at a thirteen thousand person company after i left i had way more empathy for how incredible it is to grow that thing oh to make yeah that thing as big as it was to build those relationships to employ thirteen thousand people like it's an amazing feat in itself but it comes with like certain externalities as a function of this thing. Right. But it did start two people in a garage hustling on the phone, like running down contracts, pretending to be more like established than they were until yeah, they like got there. Faking it to the make it sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, I think even if you have some like revolutionary, amazing piece of technology, like, uh, you know, Google search or any like piece of software that's come out in the last 10, 20, 30 years, at your your success kind of starts to hamper you after a, a certain amount of time because you're pulling talent from the market that you know not everybody has that experience of like starting a business from scratch doing 10 yeah, roles or 15 roles by definition you just, you're kind of hiring people who aren't those people like you're right, right, right. you need them to be big big company people and that comes with like expertise of being able to manage it all but and then also the negative side of like playing the politics and you know like i remember one that just last one i mentioned i remember uh, again i won't say anyone's names here but a salesperson who came from traditional you know let's say like publishing or something like that like a client told us, oh, hey, yeah, we're going to spend this amount of money on, let's say, YouTube. And I was like, oh, great. I write in my notes and I'm going to, we're going back to our boss. I was going to say, oh, yeah, they're going to spend this amount. And that person was like, no, 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 no. You don't say that straight away. Like we got to now create a little pitch and make it look like we basically, like we're the ones who convinced them to do this thing. <laughs> and you know, and it's like, I get it. Like in my head, that was one of the moments I was like, oh, I can't do this long term. Like, yeah, I'm not yeah, doing yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. that's just a stupid, that you're just, you're going to be playing this game just to show the work you're doing versus just being like, oh, cool. This thing happened. It's good for all of us. Um, and that, that sort of stuff like got to my head so much. Yeah, man. Like, man it was, it's this, there's there's yeah there's definitely like crazy pros and cons to that too like you can get really comfy and there's amazing perks in the world like that too oh, where yeah. you're like flying about staying in the ritz eating the best food in america just going and like yeah walking into conference rooms and gluttony dazzling you know yeah. like here's this yeah, incredible vision for this yeah. thing but it's also you know you also like Celia likes to remind me of this all the time. It's like uh, you were working just as much then because you're still getting home and be like, oh, i got to get this thing ready. i got to yeah, do yeah. that. Like I always romanticize this idea of like, oh, if I had a job, I could just clock out at five or six o'clock. It's like, you're not going to do that. It's just like yeah, who you that's are. True. Right? Yeah. It doesn't change. It's like you're just making a decision about how much risk you want to take and what, like, what you want to be responsible for you can build an amazing career both ways yeah there's nothing wrong with doing that for sure but yeah i get you it's definitely like a different 
yeah different approach man alright mate I think we can call it here that was a good way to finish off yeah it was a good um, one that was good. Thanks, thanks for everyone that. submitting questions in Telegram if you're not already in there make sure you click the show notes and you can get in there I'll also say make sure you drop a comment on YouTube because we've been getting some funny ones I'll read one out <laughs> comment of the week Arctic Cal Cali said Ed Air must be going well you guys are starting to look like rich rappers which we both we all we shared that, that one, one of you guys one. shared that in a group chat I was cracking up about that so yeah we appreciate drop the comments you know I know you guys drop a comment on telegram too which is great but just click over to YouTube drop a comment let us know what you thought of this you know obviously it helps the algo too so smash the like button all that good stuff and we will see you next week on the next one Trung will be back too all right cheers